one thing I want to emphasize for people that haven't outsourced much, if you just tell them, Hey, edit it and, and, you know, format it and you don't give them mm-hmm. any instructions and they come back to you and you're like, ah, this is a terrible VA. They did a bad job. They didn't know what to do. It's always your fault. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. And in this episode, I guess the first thing I'm going to do is play a weird clip of myself telling you that everything's your fault. But I actually am going to bring some value, I hope, because we also talk about hiring content teams and freelancers and writing and stuff like that. It is a little bit of a switcheroo on you, though, because my friend Morton Storgard interviewed me for his YouTube channel a little while back. Actually, it was back in March. And because I know that my future self will be lazy, I knew that it would be great to have the audio from that interview. So I asked Morton that day, hey, can you send me the audio when you're all done with it? And then I'll put it on the podcast sometime in the future. Well, it is now the future. And that's the episode. All right. So check out Morton's YouTube channel. He's been growing like crazy. All right. He's been growing like crazy. I'll put a link in the show notes here so you can check out his stuff. I did a full interview with him. Really smart guy. He's done a ton on YouTube. He builds niche sites himself and he has a quite a little portfolio. He's hired a lot of folks too. So we go pretty deep into the weeds in this conversation. I do want to let you know about one thing. This episode is brought to you by Ezoic. Ezoic is a Google certified partner and they've recently rolled out their new site speed accelerator. Basically, it speeds up your your site. It makes it load faster and you really see a huge improvement most of the time with the Google PageSpeed Insight score. Now, if you already have a high page insight score, then it's not going to go up as much, but I had experience with uh, one of my sites. Basically, it went from the high 20s, low 30s to the high 90s just by implementing the site speed accelerator. Now, a few people have asked me about using Ezoic and basically using their DNS. The best way you can use the site speed accelerator and Ezoic in general is to use their DNS. And the reason why is you're able to use their caching and their CDN. That's a content delivery network. Basically, those are services. Those are things you would typically have to pay for separately, but it's included with the SiteSpeed Accelerator. There's a free seven-day trial, so I encourage you to check it out. And pe- again, people are concerned about using the DNS of some other third party, but basically, if you use a CDN that is what you do. That That's like the thing that happens. If you use a CDN, you have to use another DNS and things are loading sort of outside of your normal registrar and your hosting account, but it helps your site load faster. So it's sort of implicit. And I do it myself. So I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't worry about it too much. If you're using a CDN, then you're using other uh, servers to load your site anyway. This is a site speed accelerator, so you need to use caching in the CDN. Thus, you have a much faster loading site. So there's no harm in checking out the free seven-day trial. And thanks again to Ezoic. I'm going to send it over to the interview with Morton. He interviews me, remember. And afterwards, I'm going to pop back on because I've been hiring a lot of writers in the last, I would say, week 
not even a week and I've hired several people, been checking their content, onboarding them, sending different templates and just generally working with writers. So this is fresh on my mind. I have a couple tips, things that you should probably do if you are outsourcing basically content, which is the topic of today. So I assume you're interested. So that means you should definitely check out and stick around for after the interview. So hi guys, thank you for coming back to the YouTube channel here. Today I have with me Doug Cunnington and I'm really happy to have you on board, Doug. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here and thanks a lot for having me on. Why don't you do like a quick introduction? I'm sure a lot of the viewers here already know who you are. Sure. So I, I blog over at Niche Site Project and I have a YouTube channel and a podcast. Generally, I talk about affiliate marketing and some SEO, a little productivity and project management as well. And I got into this affiliate marketing world and make money online after hearing the Smart Passive Income podcast back in 2013. And I got obsessed, really got into it. So I had a few sites on the side as I was working a project management software job for a while. And then I got laid off in 2015. And then since then, I've been working on affiliate sites and you know niche site project. I have a course as well. So I kind of dabble in all this sort of online stuff. And I love working for myself at this point. So how many sites are you running right now? So I keep it pretty lean uh, in general compared to some folks that I know. So I have about, uh, about four or five sites. Some of them I'm not really active on improving or doing anything, but I have a few out there. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I also wanted to ask you, how, have, how, have the last, how has the last year been for you, you know, with Google updates, new sites, are some new things you're focusing on or shifts in your business? Google updates have been, you know, coming out, seems like more often and they're usually like broad, sort of really hard to detect where, you know, back in the day, it was like uh, thin content, like low quality duplicate content or anchor text, you know, pretty simple, straightforward stuff yeah. with uh, Panda and Penguin. So I've had some impacts in generally because um, I have a few sites and they are, across different uh, topics and niches and stuff like that. Some go up and some go down. And, and I have no real um, handle on what's going on exactly. Generally, the content's pretty good, but not the best out there. One thing that I think sort of buffers my sites is I use the keyword golden ratio, which in general is just long tail, really long tail traffic, very low search volume. So any one post gets you know, a minor, small percentage. And even the, the posts that get the most traffic, it's pretty minor. So if any of those take a little bit of a hit, it's kind of a, you know, it's buffered. It's a little bit muted compared to a lot of sites. I know maybe the top 20% of the, the posts get 80% of the traffic, typical 80-20 situation. But my sites yeah. tend to have a really long tail. So Okay, cool, cool. I, I'm kind of in the same boat there. I also go for content with really low competition. So that's just cool to hear. I mean, I hear from friends that have, you know, a site that maybe drops in traffic by like 40%. And I'm like, oh man, that's like obviously dramatic and very yeah. impactful. So, yeah. And then, you know, here when we're recording this right now, it's like uh, March of 2020. So coronavirus stuff is going on and, um, I know some people traffic has dropped 
dramatically. Yeah, yeah I was just going to ask you about this. So just okay. continue. Yeah. So traffic has dropped dramatically. And then depending on what niche you're in, you may get more traffic. So a couple of my sites have more traffic, like 10 to 25%, and some yeah. have dropped. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that people are um, buying a ton of stuff, but some of them I'm like, oh, wow, that this site has definitely picked up. And just to give people, I, I usually don't talk about my site specifically, but yeah. just imagine things that people do at home. People are, are now yeah. sort of in a lockdown situation. They're at home. They have more time. They don't have to commute. Yeah. Um, they may be picking up side hustles too, right? I mean, a lot of people are losing their jobs and yeah, totally. or some sort of a furlough situation. So um, there are more people probably online doing things, but depending on what your topic is, you may... I mean, they may not be going to your site at all. So what about you? What have you seen? Yeah, it seems like it's a total gamble. So I, I have a few more sites than you, I think across seven or eight sites. I just ticked into it because another friend asked me specifically about it. I Actually, I didn't know. <laughs> I don't track all my sites that closely. Some are very passive. But I found that one site was actually going up quite a bit, like 30 or 40%. So first, I didn't really get why and I started digging a bit into it. But then I figured it's because it's, it's sort of this hobby side that you can do alone. So you don't need to be around like 10 people. So, so if you spend a lot of time alone, you can, you can totally, you know, do your hobby right there when you're home in a quarantine or, you know, just sitting at home. So, so that kind of makes sense. And then I have a, another side that also went up. But generally, I'd say that my traffic went down maybe 15%. So. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, overall, if you look at the sheer numbers, it's probably down some, but I was surprised. Yeah. It also depends on what span of time you're you're looking and comparing to. So if I look back like this week versus two weeks ago, it's up a ton. But if I yeah. smooth it out and look at like this year versus last year, just for a yeah. month, then it removes some of the, um, I wouldn't call it seasonality, but the news cycle of, you know, one to two weeks, you know. Yeah, so. totally. Yeah, because that's also the thing with when something like the coronavirus happens, right? Everybody's on the news sites all day long, right? So yep. that, that can also be it. So everybody loses a little bit. And, and I think over time, people will also lose some interest. And, it, you know, it's not going to stay forever. It's, it's a temporary thing. It's a bump for yeah. all of us. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, so, so today I also had like a main topic for this conversation. I just wanted, you know, to to touch base with you and get you and get introduced to the, to the audience here. But I wanted to talk today also about outsourcing content because I know it's something that, that both you and I do. And I think that's something that a lot of people out there have a great interest in. So, so when did you start outsourcing, outsourcing content? Did you do that from a long time ago or how, how does that work with you? When I first started, I wrote all, all of the content myself. Even so, um, I knew that I wanted to outsource a little bit. So it was pretty quick. I would say within three months or so, I started to outsource just a little bit because I, I knew that it would be a valuable thing to do and, and gain those skills. And in fact, um, you know, I teach people, you, you probably should, even if you plan on doing all the writing yourself, um, start outsourcing like 10% or so. That way, it's low risk. Um, you can learn the mechanics of hiring someone, working with them, giving them instructions and sort of hone your process versus, mm. you know, the alternative, let's say you have an unlimited budget and you can outsource to as many people as you want. You may think, Hey, I'm going to hire 15 writers and they're going to write all day. And I'm going to get, you know, 10,000 words um, per day or some kind of huge number. 
And uh, turns out it's really hard to manage people. So you yeah. can't just go from <laughs> zero to 10 immediately. And if you can build your way up and have a low risk environment, mm-hmm. that's the best way to do it because, hey, you're only outsourcing 10% and you can sort of hone your process and refine it. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. It's all, it has also been like a gradual process for me. I think I started like around a little less than two years ago with just one or two writers writing a little bit of content. And now it, it's, it's a bigger team and, and I, I seem to be scaling up more and more. Mm-hmm. So are you also scaling up? Are you at like at, at a constant level of outsourcing and the content? No. So I'm not, uh, I'm not doing either of those things usually. So a lot of times what I do is like sprints of work. I can spawn up a team. I could have, you know, a couple writers, you know, like you said, have one or two slowly build up the the team as they are um, getting up to speed. And then Mm. I may have, you know, 10 to 15 writers writing and I'll do the sprint of work, say for five months, for example, and I'll have a lot of content written and just really focusing on that. And then I'll taper it down. So that's typically the way I've worked over the past few years. Um, and, and currently, I guess I lied just a little bit. I am not necessarily like getting ready to spawn up a huge team, but I have one writer writing a, a couple articles for me for a site that I just acquired in the last quarter or so. And, you know, I'm doing like one article per week or she is doing one article per week. And then, okay. um, there's just a little bit going on, but you know, I'm not, I'm not the sort of person that feels like you have to publish constantly, like have a regular schedule or anything like that. And I haven't found it to be like an issue at all uh, for traffic or rankings or anything like that. No, me neither. Yeah. I also have some sites that sit very, very passively. I just created a bunch of content like three, four years ago and never touched it again. (laughs) No, I I basically logged in like last week for the first time in a year. I had to update everything. (laughs) And and the traffic is kind of constant. So I also found it's not a, a lot of correlation between publishing and, and traffic. It's a different animal than YouTube for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. YouTube is like a machine that, I mean, you, you actually, I mean, you could publish a new video and it can start ranking and if it's doing well, I mean, you could overtake, I, and maybe it's how it was maybe, you know, back in the day, you've been doing this longer than me, but back in the day on Google, I think maybe there was a little more um, traction. I, I don't know. Like, was it like that way back? No, I, I think Google has also been always been like super slow. <laughs> well, when, 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 when we're talking the tech side of Google, I know YouTube is also yeah. Google, right? But yeah. So yeah, so, with it, so my YouTube channel here is quite new. But as you know, I've been doing YouTube for a while with, with my wife on our Go Downsize channel. So we definitely saw some really, really quick rises like many years ago where we did like a few videos that'll like get a hundred thousand page views in no time. So but that, that's also different than doing online marketing videos. It's, it's, it's a more dense space, of course. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So, so what does the process look like for you? I mean, from you get the idea of what to write until you have that article published, uh, h- how many middlemen are there and how many steps and so on? Sure. So typically, and I'll just tell you what we're doing right now. Yeah. So I'll come up with the keywords, right? I kind of do keyword research uh, fairly quickly. Um, I know what I'm looking for in general and the keywords that are going to convert pretty well. So I'll have a quick look, maybe do a little competition research. And then I don't need to come up with a list of like 50. I only need maybe like four at a time. And that's good for a month. 
at the state that I'm doing this right now. And even if I wanted to do, you know, if I wanted to publish a whole lot more, I maybe would only need to find like, let's say 30 different keywords per month, which is really not that many. It would Mm. probably take me about an hour or something like that to find 30 keywords. So I'll find the keywords because I like to have a lean team overall. I don't have any desire to have a a big ongoing team. And um, I will just send over the headlines to my writer. I've uh, worked with her in the past. So she kind of knows the drill, but I have a template. It's pretty modular where you have a bit of a buying guide. You have um, like mini reviews and you talk about the features that someone wants or what they need to look for and think about if they're choosing a product, you put that in the buying guide. And then for the mini reviews, I usually uh, keep it pretty tight. You know, we're talking 300 to maybe 600 words most of the time. And I would just let them know, let the writer know to talk about the features that each one of the products um, has. Right. Hmm. So they, they could compare and it's sort of a cohesive way to, pick a product, which is the goal for these affiliate type articles. So um, once that is done, the writer will get it over to me and I just take a quick, quick look sometimes, not always. And then I'll get it over to my um, VA who does editing and content management. So she's a writer by trade, but she serves as my executive assistant. So she helps me with all sorts of things, but she knows how to write well and edit. So she'll edit it. I taught her how to do the formatting and that sort of thing, which is fairly straightforward. And then, you know, maybe I'll I'll tweak it just a little bit. I'll peruse it just to make sure the links look how Mm. they should. And then I let her publish it. So as you're training people, I like to have a little back and forth and and dialogue. Um, One thing I want to emphasize for people to have an outsource much, if you just tell them, Hey, edit it and, and, you know, format it and you don't give them mm-hmm. any instructions and they come back to you and you're like, ah, this is a terrible VA. They did a bad job. They didn't know what to do. It's always your fault. You, you have yeah. no one yeah. else to blame than yourself. Yeah. yeah. It's so different what people mean when they say edit this, right? <laughs> yeah. And if you don't, if you don't outline those step-by-step um, processes, then yeah. they don't know what to do. Now, there, there's a set of uh, freelancers that literally don't care. They're, they're lazy and, and they, they don't follow directions. They mm. turn in things late. I'm not talking about them. Right. So most people want to try to do a good job. So assuming yeah. that they want to do a good job, if you give yeah. them the right information, they should do a pretty good job. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. So the, I guess the total number of people, including myself is uh, three. So three people. And okay. If I were to scale it up, usually what happens, there's more writers. So yeah, I would yeah. maybe end up with, I don't know, six more writers to work with one content editor. And that way, um, the content manager and editor can process all of the content from the six writers or however big that pod is. I call them pods sometimes. Yeah. So. Yeah. And it's super okay. similar to what you do, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of similar. I, I also have like... I have a, like a full-time editor and when she's not editing, she will write. I mean, if there's not too much output from the other writers, she's, she was one of my best writers. And then I sort of promoted her to become an editor. So, Perfect. so all the other writers are handling it over to her, then she'll publish it. So many times I'll not even see the content because I trust her so much. And I think she had helped me like publish over like many, many hundreds of articles by now. So, 
so, so it has been a lot of lot of training and steps so far to get to that point definitely fantastic and one thing i can add too is i mentioned the process and make sure you get the step-by-step um details that's maybe one of my superpowers that's kind of what i did with at my previous job so as a project manager, you have to do a lot of different things. And that means different things to different mm-hmm. organizations. But a lot of times I was onboarding, putting together an onboarding document that is basically a set of procedures and it may be like outlined in a certain way. And then if I was working with a specific project team, they may not know how to use a tool. So I would have to create a job, a do the step-by-step. And once you create it, that's maybe 50% done. The other part is to iterate and make sure that you are updating it based on feedback from the users. So in this case, I put yeah. together a job aid for my content manager and editor. Here's, you know, four pages, you know, 35 steps. It's broken out, so it's not overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And I just ask for feedback for every content manager that I worked with. Let me know if there's anything unclear, leave comments. Just tell me, like, it, I want to improve this document. And you, sometimes, actually, all of their comments ended up being integrated into it eventually. At that point, you end up with kind of a bulletproof process there because you end up with a refined, uh, distilled, you know, very clear. And, and you have a lot of different people with different skills giving you feedback on it. Yeah. So yeah. So I think it's maybe along the same lines. I'm also working with like templates for different types of articles that also has been refined. You know, when I get articles back, I see okay, they didn't follow it. So, so apparently I wasn't too clear in those details. You know, because as you say, good writers will do what you tell them to. They'll do to their best ability. So if they don't succeed, it's probably your own fault, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. So so where do you go to get writers? Do or do you get new writers on board? I go to Upwork. So okay. pretty, pretty boring answer, but yeah, I go to Upwork and I, yep. there's a big pool of writers there. Um, there's new folks all the time. And I typically aim for like newer writers in general. You can get overqualified people, at good rates. And one thing that I always do is provide very thorough instructions and very thorough reviews or uh, yeah is that what you call it in upwork i you give their feedback right so you give yeah, them feedback. yeah feedback reviews yeah and, and that's what they want right they, they need yeah. to get feedback as a new freelancer they want to be hired they want to up their rates they want to grow hopefully as a freelancer and yeah. be able to earn more money so if you could help them by giving them good longer reviews then that's fantastic the other thing that i do is i will um i'll often do trial jobs or smaller gigs. So I know for whatever reason, you know, people maybe heard me say, yeah, I'm, I'm publishing you know, 50 articles a month, blah, blah, blah. And they will go out and find a writer and then they'll create a huge contract for them, mm-hmm. a job for them where it's you know, 50 articles, yeah. but <laughs> it, they, they are not hungry after they do the first 10, you know, yeah. you're going to start turning things in a little late, maybe the work isn't going to be as good. So I keep smaller contracts, maybe a maximum of like five yeah. or six articles yeah. per gig. Yeah. And that way, number one, you can give them more feedback and they want feedback. And I point it out, right? You got to let them know because if they're new uh-huh. to the platform, they may not realize it. So sometimes when I'm first hiring them, I will go through like um, one or two 
articles per gig for maybe like five, just to make sure they hit deadlines, um, mm-hmm. we're working well together and they get the benefit of getting more reviews, even though they're just working with me. So again, I let them know to make sure they realize that this extra work, cause it's extra work to do that admin stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it works really well. Yeah. Yeah, I bet also uh, for a writer, it can seem like a whole mountain of work if you just give them like 50 articles, you know, just to get chucking along on 50 articles. I mean, getting giving, giving them a little milestone at a time, I think that that just works great also from from the psychological perspective. Oh, yeah. Cool. So, so, so can I ask you how much you, you pay your writers? Do you have like a flat fee or is it dependent independent for each writer? So typically it's a... A flat fee. Um, that's usually just how I like to structure the writing. And it, it varies from about maybe like close to $20 per thousand words up to maybe about 40, depending on like what the topics are, if I've worked with them before and that sort of thing. The particular writer I was mentioning earlier, I've worked with her for a few years and she does a really good job, always hits the deadlines. I don't need to edit at all. My editor basically doesn't need to edit either. So I'm paying more for, for her, but it's because we've had a relationship and she knows mm-hmm. exactly what to do. So yeah. But yeah. In that sort of range. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. It is definitely a keeper. <laughs> yeah. Do you do anything to track the performance of each article? Like let's say, in terms of rankings, or do you do it per article, per site, per writer? Do you have any processes for that? It's pretty loose. So generally, no. (laughs) But I do track the rankings for the specific keywords that I identified at the beginning, which gives me some insight. So usually, I'll want to see those, uh, you know, pop up and rank somewhere. And most of the time, I'm just tracking to make sure there's not some Google update an event where things have dropped. So, or, or maybe they move up, but t- typically, you know, I'm looking for a drop. If it goes up, I'm like, Oh, great. I see more traffic. Fantastic. So I do have those uh, reports. I use, um, there's many tools out there, but I use a tool that um, allows you to put a, put together a report that's emailed to you. So you, I just get it in my email. I can take a quick look and I know, um, Hey, things are generally fine today. Additionally, I do have a look at uh, Google Analytics and the Search Console. Nothing yeah. fancy. I don't have it like event tracking or anything detailed in place. But on a like per page basis, I have kind of an understanding. So, for example, like a couple of weeks ago, I was like, ah, I'm just going to take a look at, at one of these sites, and you know, traffic had dropped because of all the current events and, and news yeah. stories. However. I don't, I'm not hundred percent sure what happened. I, I took a look and I saw like a traffic spike. I was like, that's kind of weird. So I started to dial it down. This is in Google analytics, by the way. So I started to, to dial down and I saw, Oh wow. One post for whatever reason, either got shared. Um, maybe people are searching for that term more, but traffic went up by, I don't know, hundred percent. It doubled basically. Okay, so wow. it doubled. Yeah. I, I don't know what happened. And, that said, I typically, once it, once I find an anomaly like that, I'll dive down and have a look like, where's the traffic coming from? Is it organic search? Is it Pinterest? Is it something else? And as I am finishing up this little anecdote, I realize I didn't do that. So I don't know where the traffic came from. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
there's all these things that you should do and then there's reality right <laughs> yeah and, and i mean the thing is it, it would be interesting but basically it happened naturally so there's yeah. no action that i probably can take in the short term that you know knowing that information yeah. is not going to change my actions now yeah after the fact in maybe a few more weeks when i take a look if it's sustained well, then maybe I, I need to look and do investigation on why it happened. But in general, it's like, okay, it's cool to know, but it's not going to change any of my actions over the next two weeks. Really cool. It's funny you mentioned that because there's some, that's something that I, that I try to think of when I'm diving into analytics or search console or any other data. I try to, you know, because it, it can take a lot of time to dig into data, especially if you want to see it per article basis. So just as you said, I'm trying to think like, is there any possible action I would take, you know, if it's outcome X or Y or C, oh, wouldn't I change anything, you know, regardless of, of what I find? And if, if I tell myself, hmm, I'm probably not going to do anything, you know, it's just interesting to see these numbers, then I stop what I'm doing, you know? <laughs> yep. Yeah. And I mean, we can, this is going deeper, but I typically don't watch the news or pay attention to current events because my day-to-day, -day, uh, funny enough, is basically like the quarantine lifestyle, apparently. I'm, I'm hearing that from a lot of uh, folks like you and I that work from home. There's just more people out walking around in the parks than normal. And, and usually I could go to a park and I'm the only one out there with my dog. But now yeah. there's a bunch, yeah. a bunch more people. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, I, I don't really pay attention to too many things um, because my day-to-day -day is not going to be changed by it. Yeah, yes, that's exactly right. Okay, cool. So also, I have a few questions left. Do you still write yourself or is everything outsourced for you at this point? So I write um, a very, very tiny amount. I would say if it just happens to be um, like a section that I'm editing and I'm like, oh, you know, I'll put in a sentence or two here to clean it up. So I wouldn't really count that. So I don't write for any of my sites at this point other than Niche Site Project where I do yeah. a lot more writing. I mean, that's my um, internet marketing blog. I have been experimenting with just hiring some of my students who can write really well. So, I mean, some of them are like pro writers, right? Like that's what they do. And th the other reason, and I know this is probably not the topic that you were aiming at, but they have a fresh take on certain topics where if I've just been doing, you know, the same sort of thing for many years and it's kind of working, but they're coming at it with different influences, a different angle, and maybe they are still writing, for example, on their sites. So they may be able to bring um, cooler or more motivating information to the table than me writing about the same thing over and over again. So I have experimented hiring writers and, and I, I mention it, you know, when, when someone does post um, on niche site project, for me, I'm like, hey, this is one of my students or whatever. And typically, I'm hiring my students and I, I do pay them much more, by the way. I pay them much more than I pay um, the writers from Upwork for affiliate content. So Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So now we've talked a lot about outsourcing content. I also wanted to ask you him toward the end. So if you wanted to elaborate on what else you are outsourcing in your business at this point. Hmm. Okay. So I try to keep things like to a minimum as far as a big team. One of the stressful things, and I don't know if you run into this, but 
like if you do have the the big team of writers, like you have to keep them busy or they're going to go somewhere else. So there's always like, you have to keep these folks employed or they're gone and you spend all this time training and working with them. So I don't want that stress. So usually um, I will keep it as lean as I can spawn up the teams and then spawn them down. That said, I have a video editor who works with me. She's been working with me for a couple of years. So once I started pushing hard on YouTube, editing is not a strong area for me. I I enjoy it a ton, but it it takes a long time. And I never put the time in to develop the, the proper skills and learn how to use the software better. So I have an editor and then I have two VAs. Um, one helps me with kind of support for my, my course and some of the admin stuff on that side. And I have an executive assistant, a virtual assistant, and she helps edit occasionally. I'm trying to teach her and keep her um, motivated by getting uh-huh. her to do other stuff because it can get boring to do the same thing over and over again. So she helps yeah. me with email management. She helps me with... Um, editing content. She can do um, all the admin stuff on the YouTube side. So you probably know like all the tags and description and yeah. thumbnails and all, all yeah. the little things. Yeah. It can take a lot of time. A lot of time. And, it's, <laughs> and I like doing some of it and it yeah. like the thumbnails. I actually enjoy putting those together. And once you get sort of a, not that my thumbnails are great, but I'll, I'm, I'm putting out enough videos where I can play around with them a little bit and I'll do maybe one thumbnail every two weeks, something like that. And then she's doing uh, most of the rest of them. So she's sort of a catch-all. And if I, if I realize that I'm doing some activity that I don't need to do and someone else could do it, then I'll get my um, EA to do it, basically. Okay, cool. That, that makes a lot of sense. And then, um, you know, I got these podcasts going out too, but I typically... I keep the editing really light and then I will mm-hmm. just do the editing myself just in like garage band. So that potentially could be a thing where I outsource it. And, you know, I've, I've had people tell me, Oh yeah, you can definitely go and, and hire um, a service or an individual. And they're like, yeah, it's just, you know, $60 per episode, which, Hey, that could be a bargain, but I'm not um, running ads um, I don't have a ton of listeners and when you, I'm doing two episodes per week. So when you add mm-hmm. that up, yeah. that's a lot of money to just, you know, yeah. push to, I mean, it doesn't take that long to, to do a podcast episode for me. And some of them, if I just record right into my recorder and and don't edit it, then I can just master it, upload it. And it takes like maybe five minutes longer than the actual episode. Wow. Yeah. Show notes could be a little bit better, but in the long run, you know what? I am not sure that having like robust show notes and maybe um, the full transcript, you know, some people mm. are like, Oh, do the full transcript. It's great for SEO and blah, blah, blah. I'm not yeah. convinced. Cause I, I've tried a couple here and there. And unless you have a kick-ass headline where you are, aiming for like keywords um, and that sort of thing. I don't know that it it pans out. Now I could be totally wrong on that, but if you're getting a transcript of audio, do you know how much it costs? No. It's about a dollar a minute. So if I'm putting out say um, 120 minutes per week for an hour long episode, that adds up to a lot. And then you put that on top of the editing, all of a sudden uh, instead of essentially a free 
thing to push out like a podcast, not quite free, mm-hmm. but it's pretty cheap to host a podcast out there. Yeah. Um, you end up, you know, you could end up at like a thousand bucks a month to put out a podcast to, yeah. just on the services and stuff. So anyway, I keep it lean. I do a lot myself because I don't want to work with mm-hmm. a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. I've also been thinking about starting a podcast. That's not, I mean, I'm going to do it at some point, but now I'm just focused on, on getting my YouTube channel up to speed. But so it's, it's definitely interesting also to hear about your process there with the podcast. Yeah. And you know, I mean, if you're doing some interviews like this, you, I mean, you have the audio already, man. So yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 Let me get you some affiliate links for the hosting and then I'll hook you up. So yeah, cool. Thanks. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But you do have the audio right there. I mean, I'm all about um, repurposing the same content and meeting people where they want to get it. So yeah. Yeah, totally. It makes a lot of sense when you do interviews like this, which I'm definitely going to do more of. So, and that was also like one of the reasons I heard some other guys t- telling that they would put it on all channels. And actually, when I was on your channel recently, a friend called me up and said, ah, I just heard you on this podcast. Like, like a podcast? What? And then, of course, he, he, he was listening to you and I talking in, in a car to work. So that was pretty cool. I didn't, I didn't know at the, at the time that I was also on your podcast. So. Oh so yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's just a great idea. I think to repurpose content like that, because you know, time is definitely the limited resource and with we can't outsource ourselves, right? Being mm-hmm. on camera and the YouTube channel, that's something you can never outsource. So being able to, to use it on different channels, it's that, that's just an, a great idea. Yep. And the funny, another funny thing is I will republish and I don't know how great this is overall, but I'll republish the audio from the podcast on YouTube with just the thumbnail. Some people use YouTube as a podcast player. Ah, it's yeah. weird, but you know, there's a handful of people that they'll, they'll watch this interview. Right. And then they would also listen to it all, both on YouTube. So mm. I, and you probably have seen just, there's a huge volume of videos that I push out and that's why it's like more than one per day at this point in time. Yeah. Yeah, you have a ton of videos, man. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's all the same content, just republished. But there's so much that like people, there's very few people that catch it the first time around. So I feel, yeah. I'm not 100% sure, but we, I won't know until, you know, years later. Did, did this actually pay off or were people just ignoring the videos? Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> you're making it available to people. I also see people put the podcast on Spotify and other places, you know, just to make it available where people are. It's been a pleasure and always great talking to you. Is there anything else you think we should touch upon or? Sure. I'll just mention a couple things. You didn't ask specifically, but I know a lot of times there's people who are like, I was thinking of doing this thing, whatever the thing is, whether it's like drop shipping, affiliate marketing, starting a blog that they'll put display ads on or YouTube channel, podcast, whatever, just start something. Don't start everything. You can do everything eventually, but you know, just pick a thing, outline some goals and at least follow through with what you want to do. And even if it's not successful, which it's probably not going to be right. It's probably not going to be successful, but you'll have a different perspective and point of view once you finish it. So I would say, you know, however, however long you want to do it, a, a one quarter, you could do a six month sort of project and just work on it. Start the thing that you're thinking of doing. Mm-hmm. You'll always be uh, better off and have better experiences, maybe expand the network that you're in. Right. So you and I are talking now because you have a YouTube channel and I've met 
a number of people that I'm in touch with uh, almost on a daily basis through just networking because I was trying to do a thing. Yeah, definitely start up whatever you think you want to try. Cool. Yeah, I'll definitely put a link to like all your sites and projects and channels in, in the description if people want to check that out. So totally going to go and check out Doc's YouTube channel. And that, I learned a ton from Doc over the years. It, it's many years since I, I saw you on YouTube for the first time. When did you start out on YouTube, actually? So technically, if you go way back, it's 2014. Yeah. <laughs> and okay. um, it, was, it was horrific, you know. And then I think I did maybe like two or three videos and I really wanted to do more and I wish I would have stuck with it back then because I would be so much better than I am now. But um, in 2016, at the tail end of 2016, I, I started to get back into it. And then 2017, okay. I hit it hard. Okay. I think I met you before 16. So I probably saw some of that older content. Oh, wow. but I think I was, I was just consuming everything out there at that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're rough. I mean, I, I left the videos out there and you can see like, it's like, I'm scared to, to talk to the camera. And I was, I literally, it would take me, you know, three hours to do like a five minute video. Yeah. It's like a time capsule when you have like a, a history on a YouTube channel, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Okay, cool. Thank you for being on, on the YouTube channel here and see you around talk. All right. Thanks a lot. See ya. See ya. Of course, thanks to Morton for letting me rebroadcast this. Go check out his YouTube channel. He has a lot of actionable, great videos. And he's been doing, I would say, pretty good keyword research on those videos because as opposed to what I've been doing lately, I'm just publishing any kind of old stuff I want to put up there, a lot of live streams, rambling. It's a lot of nonsense, to be honest with you. But Morton's doing keyword research, and I need to get back to that. Also, actually, I think all my my friends on YouTube are doing a lot more keyword research than I am. So I need to get back on the horse. And once I finish up uh, some things that I'm working on, I like to finish things all the way, which I actually, I think that's part of the secret is to go ahead and finish everything that you plan on doing. Sometimes you have to bail, of course, but what you don't want is a bunch of things that are like 95% done. You need just a couple things that are done 100% of the way. And well, you, you feel better about it, but usually those are more successful things generally. I mean, if you have a, let's say you're building cars, don't do that. That's maybe a bad idea. But let's say you're building cars and you get 95% done with a car. Not really good idea. I mean, if you leave that last 5% and it's like the tires, well, you're screwed. So anyway, once I finish up, I'm, I'm probably going to be hitting YouTube again with uh, some actual keyword research. I did tell you I was going to talk about content, hiring writers. It's fresh on my mind. When I look back at my, my little spreadsheet here that I'm using, I see that I've hired about eight writers in under one week. I've gotten quite a bit of content back from them. Everyone's been delivering ahead of schedule. No one's running behind. No one's making any kind of bullshit excuses. Everyone's delivering. One of the big tips, right? I think I'm going to have two to three. I'll see how many I could think of. One of the big tips is to post your job a couple times. I don't know what days are the hottest that have the most freelancers looking for jobs out there. 
but I published, I think on like a Thursday and then again on a Monday, the first time I published my, my job posting to get writers, I got maybe one person that was qualified and about 10 people that were not qualified. I could tell by the way that they interacted with me in their proposal. And if they followed directions that I specified in the job listing and all that kind of stuff. So really quickly I saw, you know, these people are not qualified and I was like, ah, shit, usually I have much better than a 10% success rate. So I was like, all right, let's, let's change up something kind of minor, but we'll see how it goes. So I changed the fee, right? The, the amount that I was looking for by a little bit. So I think initially I was looking for about 1200 to 1500 words for $20. But then I was like, let's switch this up. And I posted it two to three days later. So like I said, I think I posted on a Thursday the first time, and then I reposted on Sunday or Monday. And the change that I made was instead of offering more money, I offered less. All right. Seems counterintuitive, but sometimes you want to try things that are counterintuitive just to see what happens. So I changed it. And instead of $20 for 1,500 words, 12 to 1,500 words, I did $20 for 1,800 to 2,000 words. So what's the logic there? Well, I don't know other than I'm trying to hire people that are new to Upwork. And sometimes if you're new to a thing, even if you're a qualified and an experienced individual and freelancer, sometimes you may want to start with lower stakes. The stakes in this case, I'm talking about money. I'm talking about, well, maybe if they just want to dabble and they just want to check it out. They're not sure if they want to work on Upwork. Maybe they've heard bad things from some of their friends or they're just dabbling and they're not really sure. They're not confident. So if they're not confident, they may not want to get paid as much. So I'm asking for a little bit longer content for the same amount of money. You could switch it up. Of course, you could pay more, right? Maybe you think for whatever reason you want to go upstream and see what happens. Now, I could tell you it worked out fine for me. I ended up getting a couple of writers from Canada they're awesome, really well qualified. They do a good job. So that's number one, tweak your job listing, potentially tweak the exact uh, cost or the word count or something like that to try to hit a different part of the freelancer market. So that's number one, adjust your price, maybe adjust the word count, that sort of thing. Number two is to use Grammarly. In fact, tell your writers to use Grammarly. Now I use the premium version. I can't remember how much it costs exactly. I think it's about a hundred bucks a year, something like that. At least when I paid for it, I paid for it for a few years. They have extensions and plugins that work with some browsers, different applications. I think if you use Microsoft Word, it'll work with that. I use Google Docs. It works with that. They also have native apps for the Mac, I assume they have one for a PC, which I guess people, a lot of people use PCs, but I've used a Mac for a little while. So I'm like, I couldn't even, I couldn't even go back. I don't even know how to use a Windows machine at this point. Anyway, the premium version is great because it doesn't just check for, you know, the, the basic grammar issues, repeated words, misspelled words. It also gives you style tips. So if there's a 
a sentence that's unclear, if there's a passive voice situation, it'll point that out to you. And you can really tighten up an article that you get from a writer or tighten up your own. I use Grammarly in Gmail. So when I'm sending an email, it'll pick up you know any issues. I think it works basically any sort of browser situation. So if you're on Facebook and you're leaving a comment, it'll also check that and many other places, right? Very good tool. It works within the WordPress editor. So it's a tool you should be using. There's others out there that do similar things, but Grammarly seems to be sort of best in class. And once I once I find a solution that works, I usually just stick with it and I'm not trying to find a better solution for a problem that I already have solved. It doesn't make sense. That also explains why a lot of times once I find something that works, I'm not going out there exploring, trying to uh, you know find new WordPress themes that are going to solve a problem that I already have solved. So less interested in that sort of thing. I am an affiliate for Grammarly. So if you want to hook me up, I do get a commission. There's a link in the description, but I, I use Grammarly every single day, literally. And I've given, for example, my VAs access to, to Grammarly so that they're able to use it inside my WordPress dashboard, whatever site it may be. They're able to get the premium version and check things. 2.0 of this or part B for Grammarly is there's a plagiarism checker that's really damn good. So you can put in the content that a writer has sent to you. You can just click plagiarism check and it takes like, I don't know, under one minute to check it. I'd have found um, with one writer in the past, they lifted like multiple sentences paragraphs, like a pretty good chunk of the content. And I've had to fire them. It went into, I guess, some sort of, uh, not arbitration, but some sort of a uh, settlement either. But essentially I was like, hey, I want my money back (laughs) up work. This person plagiarized some stuff and you can check out the messages that we sent back and forth. And this person admitted that they copied stuff because they got really busy. So I got a refund back, of course. Upwork doesn't want kind of that kind of nonsense going on. So they'll certainly refund you. But even in this case, when I just hired um, a writer this week, I noticed it wasn't very much, but there was um, like two consecutive sentences that they were from the actual manufacturer site. So it's good that he was doing research, but, and, and I actually, I can't even blame him so much for like referencing content and then having very close phrasing for technical specifications or something, you know, outside of general knowledge. However, and I haven't, um, I'm not sure what I'm going to do at the end of the day. Anyway, I was like, Hey man, you need to change this. There's, uh, you know, two sentences that are verbatim and I understand you have to do research, but you need to change them. I'm not sure if I'm going to hire him again. I think that could be it. There's too many other people to work with out there, which is a bummer because he was actually like working quickly and writing pretty good content and ah, it's a little disappointing. However, kudos to Grammarly because I was able to see those two sentences in under a minute. I popped it in, replied back, and he was probably like, oh, son of a bitch, I got busted here. So I think that's something 
that you do have to look out for when you hire a new writer. And I will check all the articles as I'm doing trial jobs with a writer. I'll check 100% of the first you know, set of trial gigs, which depending on, you know, this person, I, I'm going to check if I end up working with them on an ongoing basis, I'm going to check every damn article. And, you know, after a little while, if once they know I'm vigilant and I'm detail oriented, and I obviously have a tool that tells me that you copied these partial sentences or whatever, I'm pretty sure they're either number one, not going to want to work with me or, which is fine, or they'll know, Hey, Doug is going to check everything I do. I need to bring my A game here. The third tip is to keep templates. So you may have to come up with these originally, right? So when you're sending over a job aid or whatever to your writer, you may have to come up with a template for your review article, for example. What sections do you want? What do you want them to include? But once you create that template one time, you should not keep doing it again and again. In fact, I have templates for the job listings that I use. I have a template for the message that I send after I hire them. So it's kind of an onboarding message. They get the style guideline. They get a link to the template that is relevant to whatever topic they're covering. Maybe it's an informational kind of article and I want them to follow a specific format. Or if it's a review, another format. This is one of the big things that I covered with Rob Atkinson back in the day. And Rob and I actually recorded those episodes way back. These were early, I guess, some of my earliest YouTube videos. And basically, Rob knew that he needed to scale and he wanted to figure out how to do it. Luckily, my background, as I mentioned in the discussion with Morton here, it was around onboarding resources, telling them what to do, documenting what they needed to do. And then you do it once and then you can onboard a ton of people. And I onboarded literally dozens of folks. I think that I remember this, I remember this period because I was trying to get promoted back in my day job. This must've been 20, 2014 ish. Yeah. 2014. And I helped grow the team from something like 22 people to about a hundred on my direct team. I didn't, not all those folks were reporting to me, by the way, I think I had like 15 and, but I was like the onboarding point of contact and we had a, we'll call it like a, a cousin team in a different area. They were working on similar stuff, but it was under other management. However, they could use the same onboarding. So I was onboarding like huge numbers of people. You know, it ended up being, I think, 100 on our team and 100 on the other, which is insane now that I'm talking about it. And it, at the height, right? At the height, I remember onboarding and having a meeting with like 60 people or so. And I'm in a remote location, you know, I was actually traveling at the time and I was like, Hey, here's what we're doing. Here's how you do X, Y, and Z, which is exactly the same sort of stuff that you have to do with freelance writers and wrangling together a team that 
they, they have very different backgrounds. They have different understandings for certain things. So anyway, I think the point here is keep templates. Once you, once you put out a process, once you publish a process, once you start working with writers or freelancers or whatever, you have that documentation and you shouldn't write it again. You should be iterating on it over and over again. You should ask, just like I I mentioned with Morton, you should ask for feedback from the people that are consuming the information so that you can improve it over time, which is exactly what I did when I was working on that big team, growing that team. So, you know, do yourself a favor, do your future self a favor and go back and use the work that you've done before and improve upon it. And I haven't, I haven't mentioned it in a few days here, a few days. I haven't mentioned it in a long time, but yeah, Rob and I did these, I think there were seven coaching sessions. I think we shared some of the templates that he came up with that we worked together on. And a cool thing, I should have teased this earlier, but I interviewed Rob recently. It's going to be coming out the next episode. And, you know, we can't, we don't share the exact earnings that, that we have anymore. Like I don't individually, Rob doesn't, but the headline for the upcoming episode 161 is a seven figure per year niche site, which means its valuation is multiple seven figures, which is insane. So the origin of that is a niche site, by the way, it's just a fairly straightforward, simple site. And the origin of it is basically a site that Rob and his buddy were putting together. So we get into a lot of the details in the episode, of course. I'm excited to publish it. I think it's uh, uh, it's just amazing because I remember when he was starting to work on, on that site. He and I were working on a project at the time. We were sort of finishing up. Project Go White Hat, if you're familiar with it. And then he was like, yeah, I think I'm going to work on this other thing. So that's coming up in the next episode, which I guess is a great teaser. And then we're just going to call it a day. So have a good one out there. We'll catch you on the next episode. <laughs>